Amen. Thank you. If you would, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, as we continue to walk through this beautiful story and picture of the love and kindness of our God and King, as seen in the life of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz in this beautiful story. Uh, We've been walking through this for several weeks. I'll try to catch you up as best I can, as quickly as I can, uh, in this story. But today we enter upon the second encounter between Ruth and Boaz, and this one carries with it just a hint of uncertainty as it's approached. Now, what's been happening in the story of Ruth is we've been introduced to a family, a family that consisted of a husband, a wife, and two children. Their names were Elimelech and Naomi, and they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And because of famine that had broken out in Bethlehem where they grew up, they had to leave or they decided to leave Bethlehem to go into Moab to find food. And just so you know, in the time of the original hearers of this story, Moab was not uh, a friendly place. Moab was considered the enemy of God's people. So for a Bethlehemite family to go into Moab to find food would have been something that would not have been viewed as a good decision. And upon entering into Moab and trying to find food, we, tell, we hear the tragic story of how uh, Naomi loses her husband. He dies. We're not told exactly how, but he dies. And uh, his, his two sons end up eventually dying as well while they are in Moab. And before their two sons died, they had married Moabite women to have as wives. And just so you know, in Jewish life, that would not have been looked upon favorably. And now Naomi is left all by herself with two Moabite daughters-in-law and no hope of prosperity and no hope of protection to come. She was truly in what would be considered a hopeless situation. But by God's grace, we find out Naomi hears that food is available again in Bethlehem, and so they decide to travel back home. And in that uncertainty, Naomi doesn't know what she's going to encounter when she gets back, what kind of reception she's going to get. And she certainly doesn't think that her two Moabite daughters-in-law are going to find any kind of favor when they arrive in Bethlehem. And so Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to stay behind, that there was nothing for them where she was going. If they were going to have any hope, it was going to be with them remaining in Moab and marrying other men. We find that there is a difference between the two daughters-in-law They both love Naomi desperately. One of them, Orpah, listens to Naomi's appeal and stays back. Ruth, however, however, does not listen and in fact tells Naomi, don't try to talk me out of this. I'm going with you. And Naomi gives one of the most, uh, Ruth gives one of the most beautiful, loyal commitments that one can make to another human being. She says, I'm going to leave behind all my family. I'm going to leave behind my gods. I'm going to leave behind my birthplace, and I'm going to go where you go. Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to be part of your people. I'm going to be attached to you. Where you die, I'm going to die. And the God you serve is the God I'm going to serve. A beautiful picture of loyalty between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. 
And yet they get back to Bethlehem and there's an uncertainty as to how are they going to be taken care of. Yes, they've arrived back in Bethlehem, but how are they going to be provided for? What is God going to do to bring hope in the midst of a dire situation? And the theme of Ruth as you see it is that what happens to look like happenstance is actually the purposeful hand of God. Because Ruth comes up with a plan in chapter 2 that she's going to go out and get food for Naomi and for herself. She's going to go into a field and she's going to glean. Which was basically after the harvest was done, the poor and those who had little or nothing could go into the fields and pick up the scraps of what was left behind. So Ruth says, I'm going to go. I'm going to find a field, I'm going to glean there and get us some food. And she prays that she might find favor with whoever's field it is. Because you see, this took place during the time of the judges. It was a violent time. It was a time when women were treated with violence and disrespect. And you can tell that Ruth is anticipating that she might run into a man who would not look favorably upon her. And so she prays that God would put her in the field of someone who would have favor towards her. And it just so happens, she finds herself in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of this family. And all of a sudden, things start to change. And what we're introduced with Boaz is we're introduced to another righteous man who demonstrates the very same type of loyalty and kindness that Ruth showed Naomi because Boaz is supremely gracious to Ruth. Not only does he allow her to glean, but he goes so far as to invite her in to eat with the servants during the lunchtime meal. He invites her to come in and be a part as if she was one of his own workers. And not only that, but he instructs his young men to not touch her, but to keep her safe and to protect her. And not only that, but he says he's going to provide her more food. He tells his young men, hey, make sure you drop a little extra on the ground while you're leaving. Let her go into the sheep the bundled up stuff that was supposed to be off limits. He says, let her go in there and take some out of that too. And he sends Ruth back to Naomi with so much food, they can't eat it in a short period of time. It's supposed to last them for weeks. And Boaz demonstrates great kindness to Ruth, even though she was a foreigner, she was not in his family, and she was poor. Boaz demonstrates the love of God. Now, we're told at the end of chapter 2 that Ruth and Naomi get back together again at the end of all of this, and we find out that Boaz has invited Ruth to continue to glean in his fields and to keep close to his women, and he allows Ruth to continue to glean and to get food throughout not just the barley harvest, but also through the wheat. Through all the harvest season, Boaz says, you can keep on coming back and keep finding Food. Oh, that beautiful picture of the love and concern of Boaz for Ruth, but it's about to go further. See, it's good that he provides that food. It's gracious that he shows her favor, but it's not enough. They're still alone. In chapter 3, the author of Ruth tells the next section of the story with great anticipation and many times with a lot of innuendo. So we're going to look at that this morning. Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to read the first five verses. If you are physically able and willing, I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of honor for God's word. And let's read it together. 
And then let's see what God has for us in this next part of the story. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that, you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need your help in understanding these verses. And so, Father, I pray that you will give us uh, insight by your spirit. Feed us so that we might love you more and hate sin more. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, in chapter 2, Ruth prioritized Naomi in, sending, in, in, in being willing to go out and try to get food for both of them. In chapter 3, the roles reverse. And Naomi is shown prioritizing Ruth. So much so that in verse 1, Naomi expresses her concern when she says to her daughter-in-law, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? See, Naomi's concerned while Ruth is concerned about her. Naomi is concerned that Ruth have some type of rest or some type of home or some type of protection for the future. That she might be well situated. You can see Naomi's care for Ruth in return for what Ruth has done for her. And in these opening verses, Naomi has this meeting with her daughter-in-law in order to try and point her to a plan that she has developed. And so what I want to do is uh, title this sermon, God's Providence in a Problematic Scheme. God's Providence in a problematic scheme. See, because the, the plan that Naomi comes up with is not necessarily the best plan you could come up with. It's a plan, I'll grant you, but it's got problems. And what we're going to see is God is able to work even through the problematic plans of Naomi. See, chapter 2 and 3 mirror each other. They both start with a scene where Naomi and Ruth are together talking. Then it transitions to a scene where Ruth encounters Boaz and they have a conversation. And then it transitions back to Ruth and Naomi coming back together to have a summary. Chapter 3 follows the exact same pattern. Naomi and Ruth are together first. Then Ruth goes out to have an encounter with Boaz. And then Ruth comes back and Naomi and they summarize. So this first we have here is another 24-hour period. It looks like a, a full day where this big event is going to take place. This big encounter with Boaz is going to happen. They've already had the first one where he's provided for her and told her she could come back and glean, but it's about to go to the next level. And in these opening verses, we find Naomi and Ruth together, and Naomi has a plan for how to try and accomplish rest for Ruth. Because just so you know, the fact that they're fed is good, but Ruth is still a foreigner. She still has no husband. She still has no prospect of ever having any children. She has still not found rest, as Naomi refers to it. And so Naomi, Naomi says, there must be a plan to bring you rest. And she phrases it as, should I not seek rest for you, which the original idea would be that she had already told her that. And she's basically saying, did I not say to you that I would help you find rest, that it may be well with you? Ruth desires 
for, uh, Naomi desires for Ruth to be well taken care of and well situated. In verse 2, she tells us again, is not Boaz our relative? See, this is how the rest is going to be accomplished. It's going to be tied to Boaz. Boaz is going to be the key to finding rest for Ruth, and Naomi knows that. She says, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is wooing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Naomi has a scheme, and it starts with Boaz, that he is going to be the difference maker in whether or not Ruth actually finds rest. And somehow, Naomi knows Boaz's schedule. And she says he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Just so you know, just to be completely upfront with you, theologians wonder what's happening here. Because just so you know, in Old Testament times, there were some not good things that took place at the threshing floor. For us, we don't know that, right? Because we have no concept of taking barley and going to the threshing floor and using a fork and kicking it in the air so all the chafe and all of the, 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 the stuff that they didn't want would scatter and it would just be left with the barley and wheat that they wanted. We don't know much about that, but just so you know, uh, many times uh, illicit sexual things took place at the threshing floor. The reason is because the men would spend all day out harvesting, but they couldn't winnow during the day for the most part because it had to dry out first. So they would store it when it dried out, many times at night when the wind would kick up and help them winnow. They would be at night at the threshing floor trying to prepare the barley and the wheat. If you spend all day at the field and all night at the, winnow at the threshing floor, guess what? Women might go up to the threshing floor at night for illicit reasons. Because the men have been out working all day. You with me? I'm trying to be discreet while not be discreet. <laughs> so the author of Ruth is setting this scenario and everything that follows makes you read and go, uh-oh, this don't sound right. And I believe it's intentional by the author. Because how has Boaz been described to us so far? Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz was described as a worthy man. He was honorable. As an Israelite, he was righteous. He followed God. So what's going to happen at the threshing floor with the worthy man Boaz is going to be quite interesting. And I believe that's the anticipation that the author gives us in Ruth. He's not being completely succinct and detailed. He's leaving some innuendo behind it. Almost to say, how are these two people going to respond to this situation? So when I say threshing floor, just know this isn't just out there flipping barley. This is an instance where in their day, the original hearers would have thought, uh-oh, is something inappropriate about to happen? You with me so far? Good. I know you weren't ready to get into that today, were you? All right, good to know. So notice Naomi's instructions to Ruth. Uh-oh, doesn't sound good. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down the threshing floor. Just so you know, that's a biblical way of saying get yourself dolled up. Look attractive when you go. Uh-oh, if bad stuff happens at the threshing floor, guess what this sounds like? 
Sounds like Ruth is dressing herself up to do something she shouldn't do. It's almost like the author wants us to think that. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. By the way, this is Naomi's plan. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's going to doll herself up. She's going to go down there at night with just the two of them. And she's going to wait to go down there and go into to where he's at until after he's ate and drank. Verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Oh, no, we shouldn't do that. Then go uncover his feet. No, no, don't do that. And lie down. Oh, no. And he will tell you what to do. Now, this is a plan, right? Just so you know, Naomi's plan has got some problems. Number one, because of the encounter she's walking Ruth into that looks bad, but number two, how is Boaz going to take it? See, he's a worthy man. She's a Moabite. Uh-oh. You with me so far? You see it? And the author doesn't just come out and say, no, listen, they're fine. It's open. He leaves us hanging there. Like, what's going to happen? So this plan has got a bunch of problems. Naomi tells her to prepare to get ready to approach Boaz and then respond. She basically says, Boaz will tell you what you are to do. Verse 6, we transition to the second part of the story here in chapter 3 where she leaves to go encounter Boaz. Ruth leaves to go encounter. Verse 6, we're told, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Notice, even though Naomi's plan had a lot of problems in it, Ruth still does it. Why? Loyalty and love for her mother-in-law. So she does what, he, what she says. Verse 7, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, oh no, that's never good. That's never good. Especially not at the threshing floor. He went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came softly, which also means covertly. Oh, no. She snuck in so nobody would see her. That doesn't sound good. She came softly, verse 7, and uncovered his feet and lay down. Okay. So now we're in this sticky spot. Ruth has shown up in the middle of the night to the place where Boaz is laying down after he's ate and drank and his heart is merry. And he's at the threshing floor and he's sleeping and she's come in all dolled up, perfume smelling good. And she uncovers his feet and lies down. And he doesn't know she's there. He's sleeping. And now we're stuck with, oh, this could go one of two ways. Either Boaz wakes up and he's very kind and generous like he's already been, or he wakes up and says, what are you doing here? This is inappropriate, right? Thanks, Naomi. Appreciate the plan. 
Because Naomi has set her up for what could be a disaster. Because if Boaz were to find fault in what Ruth is doing, then guess what he's going to do? No more gleaning in my field. No more protection. Right? This is what you would anticipate. And so Naomi has set Ruth up. This is not a good plan. It's a plan. But Ruth is out here in a very vulnerable position that Naomi has put her into. But she's done it because she loves her mother-in-law and trusts her. Verse 8 See, the author wants, the narrator wants you to know that some time has transitioned. And he says, at midnight or during, sometime in the middle of the, of the nighttime, the man was startled. Notice, Boaz is referred to as the man and Ruth is referred to as the woman. Almost like the author is distancing you from Ruth and Boaz and just calling them the man and the woman. He said, the author says, the man was startled and turned over. Well, yeah, there's a woman laying at his feet in the middle of the night in the threshing floor. It says that he was startled and he turned over, which is another way of saying that his attention was turned to her. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. <gasps> An exclamation point. My version has exclamation point. As in, this is a startling thing. What is going to happen? What's going to take place? Is this going to be good or bad? Notice how he responds. He said, who are you? Now, he already knows who she is, right? He had seen her in the fields. But perhaps it's so dark that in the middle of the night, he can't tell who the woman is at his feet. And he's not quite sure. Who are you? He asks. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. His response is going to be very important. And notice what she asks. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. <laughs> hey, sorry in the middle of the night to disturb you, but would you spread your wings over me? Because I'm your servant. Do you know what that's referring to? I don't expect you to. This is a, the idea of, remember, that earlier on we saw the desire to see God spread his wings over Ruth and Naomi. Remember when Boaz had talked to her the first time, he had talked about how gracious she had been to Naomi, and that's why he was showing her favor was because of the, the love and loyalty that Ruth had shown Naomi. And in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz had prayed a blessing over Ruth and said, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, the picture of wings was the idea of providential care of God, his security, his provision. And here, Ruth is laying at the feet of Boaz, and she says, spread your wings over me, your servant. Okay, we got the threshing floor. She's all dolled up. Middle of the night. They're alone there. She's laying at his feet. His feet are uncovered. He wakes up. He's startled. Finds her there. Who are you? I'm Ruth. Spread your wings over me. Just so you know, in the original language, it's more likely spread your wing over me rather than wings. And the idea of spreading your wing over someone in those days was the idea of marriage. 
uh-oh. Okay, Ruth, you understand that's not how this works, right? Women don't ask men to marry them in those days. Especially not Moabite women asking an Israelite man. Especially not a poor girl and a rich man. You see all the problems in this? She's being awfully forward as a Moabite woman to an Israelite man. She says, spread your wing over me. She's basically proposing to him. Marry me. She says why she asks this of him. For you are a redeemer. You are the one who can redeem. Remember, back in these days, it was the picture of redeeming the the land of someone who had died prematurely, and, and the land wasn't going to be transmitted in their family because maybe they had no children. And so the idea was a family member, a relative, could come and be a redeemer, buy the land and secure it for the family moving forward when one of their relatives had died with no children. Here, Ruth says, you can be a redeemer. You are a redeemer. Problem is, Ruth is a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. Boaz didn't owe her. The redeeming was for Israelites. So the fact that she asked this of him is actually not for her. It's for Naomi. Now, certainly she wants rest too, marry me, but her intent is redeem the family, redeem what Elimelech died and had to give up. And she rests in the fact that he, Boaz, can be the one who redeems her. So what's Boaz's response? That's what we're waiting for, right? Is he going to be kind or is he going to find her to be a too forward, inappropriate Moabite woman? Verse 10, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Boaz calls that God might have favor on her. Well, apparently then he doesn't view what she's doing to be inappropriate because he wouldn't call down God's favor for her if she was doing something that was illicit. See, some people try to use these verses to say that Ruth and Boaz had uh, illicit sexual encounter. I don't believe so. Because one, that wouldn't be worthy of a man like Boaz. And number two, how could he call down God's favor on her if that's what had taken place? See, the picture here was she had made herself completely vulnerable to him. And she was worried, how is he going to respond? And here we see that Boaz continues to respond with the kind of kindness that only God could provide. To a foreigner who had nothing. And he shows compassion to her. May you be blessed by the Lord. We see his response to her is not angry, it's not vicious, it is gracious and kind. Boaz goes on to say, You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, he even commends her again. Because remember, he commended her the first time because she showed great love to Naomi, her mother in law, even though she didn't have to. She showed great loyalty and love to, to Naomi. Now he commends her again for what? Coming to him. Because he says, he gives her great praise in the fact that she didn't just chase after any eligible bachelor, whether poor or rich. 
See, listen, as a Moabite woman living in Bethlehem, she didn't have many prospects of anything. And it would be understood that a Moabite might chase around and try to find any man who would marry her. But Boaz praises her because he says, you didn't just chase after anybody. You wanted a redeemer for you and for Naomi, right? For Naomi. So he praises her again that she actually had the forwardness to come to him and to ask him if, if he would marry her. He says it's actually a favorable thing, and he said that kindness was greater than what you did for Naomi in the first place. You're thinking of her long term, and Ruth is praised for seeking a redeemer rather than just any man. That means she believed in what God said, she believed in the promises of God, and she followed what God said, even though she was a Moabite. Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. Now, that had to be great news to her. Because I imagine Ruth was trembling with what was about to happen. And for him to say, do not fear, had to bring great comfort to her heart. And he said this, I will do for you all that you ask. See, remember, Boaz is the, is the powerful one. And Ruth was his servant. But now the roles reverse. And Boaz says, I will be a servant to you, Ruth. I will do whatever you ask. Ooh, doggy. Original hearers hearing this would have been like, this is crazy. That an Israelite man would say to a Moabite woman, I'll do whatever you ask. That is extreme grace. That is scandalous grace, especially when they're standing in the middle of the threshing floor in the middle of the night. Hope nobody walks by and sees this. Could be problematic. But he praises her. And Boaz says, I will do all that you ask of me. What does that include? What has she asked of him? Boaz says, I will marry you. Israelite man to a Moabite woman. God does some strange stuff in his kingdom. He includes people in it that you wouldn't expect. He has grace on people who you wouldn't expect God to have grace on. I wonder who that sounds like. Oh, wait, all of us. Every single one of us in this room is like a Moabite woman. You're welcome. Get the T-shirt. I'll help pay for it. And everything finally seems to be going right. Remember, this is a story where nothing goes right. It started out with, yay, we have a family, and then it just goes downhill from there, and it plummets, and it's problem after problem after problem, death, 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 no hope, no hope, obstacles, obstacles, and now we're like, yay, it's finally working out. Boaz says, I'll marry you. Everything's going to be great. And as soon as that leaves his mouth, a problem. He goes on to say in verse 11, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a what? Worthy woman. See, I don't believe they had an illicit sexual encounter because I don't believe he would call her a worthy woman if that had taken place. But notice the same descriptor of Boaz, that he was a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1, we're told that Ruth is a worthy woman. See, this is what godliness looks like. Even in a situation that is filled with innuendo of something going badly, both Ruth and Boaz are found to be worthy in the midst of it. 
And not only did Boaz know it, he says, all of my fellow townsmen know it too. He says in verse 12, and now, which is a statement of urgency, it is true that I am a redeemer. Oh, no. This was supposed to be happily ever after, right? He says, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll marry you. But he says this, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. See, the proper redeemer in a family was supposed to be the closest relative to the husband who died. Elimelech had died, and the proper redeemer would be his closest relative in the family. Boaz says, yeah, I'm a relative, but I'm not the closest relative. There is another who the responsibility falls on first. Oh, no. Everything was going good. He said yes. And now immediately afterward, there's another obstacle that is introduced. Because she found favor with Boaz, right? And he's a gracious, generous guy, right? And he models, he models God, right? And he shows great favor and he shows great loyalty and kindness, right? But what about the other guy? What about the nearer redeemer? He could be a jerk. He could be hateful. He could be a monster. And here Boaz is found, here Ruth has found favor with Boaz and everything seems to be going so good. And then there's this man who's introduced and says, yeah, but he is the nearer redeemer and it should go through him first. Oh, no. Remember Ruth's prayer at the very beginning that she would find favor with whoever's field she found and she had. But the question is, would the nearer redeemer be as gracious to her? But I want you to notice, Boaz is not going to leave it alone. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, or if he's not delighted to redeem you, is what the word means, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz says, you're getting redeemed one way or the other. If he does it, then he'll do it. If he shows gracious kindness to you, then you'll marry him. But if he doesn't, I will. So at least there's some hope for Ruth there. But Boaz is the one who has shown her favor. And in this story, as you listen to it, Boaz is supposed to be the one, right? It can't be this other guy. But notice Boaz says, I'm going to take care of it immediately. Remain tonight. Uh-oh. Oh, is that a good plan? I mean, maybe now that it's already a bad plan and already in the midst of it, maybe this is the best you can make of it. But he tells her, stick around at the threshing floor for the rest of the night. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Right? And in the morning, if he will redeem you good, he's going to take care of it in the morning. He's going to make sure this is dealt with. Let him do it. But if he's not willing or delighted to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she does what he says. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. What does that mean? Snuck out before the sun came up. Before anyone could recognize who she was. See, Boaz wants to keep her there for her protection, but he also wants to protect her reputation and his. 
And the idea of Ruth come marching out in the morning after spending the night with Boaz in the threshing floor didn't look good. So he says, stay here. But before it's light enough for anyone to recognize you, go. For your reputation and for mine. Why? Because they were worthy people and they didn't do that which dishonored God. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Don't tell anybody. No one needs to know this because it'll start to stir up scandal. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and measured out six measures, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. What's he still doing? Still providing for her. Even in the midst of this terrible plan, still taking care of her. Here's some more. Here's some more food. Take it with you. And then my version says, then she went into the city. Does everyone's version say that? Then she went into the city? Here's a problem, though. In some of the original texts, this is not a feminine word. This is a male word. This is masculine, which would be read, he went into the city. Who went into the city then? The answer is both of them. But I believe in verse 15, the one who rose to go out into the city is not Ruth necessarily, but it's Boaz. Why? We already told you. He was going to find that redeemer, and he was going to settle this quick. And so while my version says, then she went, it's because other versions that came later, it got changed to a feminine verb instead of a masculine one. But if I'm guessing, and I could be wrong, I think this is he went into the city. Boaz did because he was going to solve the redeemer issue. He wasn't going to let it go all day. He said, first thing, he told us that, right? First thing in the morning, I'm going and I'm getting this taken care of. So I think this is talking about Boaz. Now, Ruth went into the city also, but Boaz went out of urgency to get this matter settled. It's also backed up, I think, by chapter 4, verse 1, where Boaz is in the city and we're not told how he got there. I think we are. Here in verse 15, then he went into the city. Verse 16, and when she, meaning Ruth, came to her mother-in-law, she said, so remember, what was the structure? Naomi and Ruth have a meeting. Ruth goes out and has an encounter with Boaz, and then they come back. Ruth and Naomi have kind of a summary. Here's the summary. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Thanks, Naomi, right? You're the one who set me up for this. How did you fare, my daughter? Notice the compassion she still has for Ruth. And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. Oh, man. And then we're left again. We've had this encounter. We've had the summary. It looks like things are moving forward, but we're still not sure how this is all going to work out. Who's actually going to redeem her? Is it going to be Boaz or another person? How is God going to work through that? How is God going to continue to provide for Naomi and Ruth? What's going to happen as a result of this situation? This scheme was terrible. It had a lot of problems in it. And yet, God used it to provide what was ultimately for Ruth's best interest for her rest. We've seen Ruth demonstrate great boldness in approaching Boaz and asking him to marry her. We've seen Boaz's commitment to do just that. And yet, we're waiting with anticipation, what will happen? 
who's going to redeem? What's going to happen to Ruth and Naomi? See, God many times works even in the problematic schemes of human beings. God still shows his power in the fact that he brings about his desired conclusion even when human beings are not making the best choices. That's good news for me. Because what it means for me is that God's going to accomplish his will despite even the failings of those who follow after him. God is still going to accomplish his purposes. You know why? Because he is the sovereign king over all things. And all events are under his providence and under his ordaining. Everything that happens is by the purposeful hand of God. His plan moving forward is to demonstrate that he works even in the problematic schemes of these two women. Because through that scheme, God was bringing about the rescue and the rest that Ruth so desperately needed. I'm so glad that nothing and no one could stop Jesus from going to the cross. I'm grateful that even the sinful acts of human beings could not stop. In fact, it led to Jesus dying so that we could be redeemed. See, the good news is God is not helpless. He is the one who is ordaining all events to his Glory. So even when it seems like things are troubling, even when it seems like things are spinning out of control, we can rest in the fact of knowing that God is the supreme sovereign king of all the universe. And even in problematic schemes, God is accomplishing his purposes. Jesus is the king we've been waiting for, and nothing can stop him. Nothing could stop him the first time, and I hate to break it to you. Nothing's going to stop him the second time either. See, God is providentially over even the problematic schemes of human beings. I'm thankful that even though Naomi and Ruth and Boaz didn't see it, God was behind everything. Why? So that when his plan comes about and rescue is found and redemption is found, it's all to his glory, not ours. It's all to his praise, not ours. Because while we're scheming, God is accomplishing his plans. And the good news is, we are part of those plans. Because like Ruth, we are outcasts and strangers. Apart from God, we are not in his family. We are not rescued from our sin. We are not found in satisfaction. Instead, apart from God, we are found in our sin, rebels, strangers to God, outcasts and aliens of his kingdom. We're like the Moabite, and we desperately need God to have grace towards us. We desperately need God to display mercy and kindness to those who don't deserve it. Guess what? Just like Boaz shows it to Ruth, God has displayed it to us through Jesus Christ. His favor has come. His grace has been poured out on Moabite people so that they might be rescued and brought into his family, that they might be rescued. Ruth is a beautiful picture of one who didn't deserve to be rescued, but nonetheless finds the rescue of God. Oh, that every single one of us would trust in the finished work of Jesus to rescue us and to redeem us from the depths of our sin. 
If you're here this morning, you have to ask yourself one question. What are you trusting in for your eternal salvation? What are you trusting in to forgive you of your sin against a holy God? There's only one of two ways. You're either trying to satisfy the debt on your own by your own works and your own hand, hoping to make up for sin, or you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that his death pays the full penalty for your sin. The wrath of God poured out on him instead of us. This morning, there's only two ways. You reject or you believe and trust. I urge every single one of you not to trust in your own goodness to rescue you, but to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He is the Redeemer. He is the one who has shown loving kindness to us. May he receive glory in the rescue of lost sinners like us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how gracious you are to us, how loving and kind you are to us. And Father, you deserve ultimate praise in all these things. And Father, I pray this morning uh, that we have seen clearly the need for rescue. Father, we are in desperate need for the rescue that only you provide. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this room knows and is trusting in the finished work of Jesus for our forgiveness. And Father, if they're not, that today you might show them clearly that they cannot earn salvation. They desperately need your grace through Jesus Christ. So Father, may you draw them to yourself. May you draw them to love and to cherish and to trust in Jesus Christ and his work alone. And Father, for us as Christians, may we give you praise in this place for the fact that we used to be the outcast and the stranger. We used to be the one separated from you with no hope. But God, you showed up and you gave us grace and you gave us mercy and you rescued us by your beautiful son's sacrifice. God, we are children of yours today because you rescued us and to you may be glory and honor forever. Father, help us as Christians to be joyful and reminded constantly that you have demonstrated unbelievable love and loyalty to us. May we pour that out and may we pour it out on our community to point them to Jesus. Father, your plans are perfect and I thank you that no human scheming can stop you from working. You showed it on the cross, you showed it in the resurrection, and you're going to show it again when Jesus comes back. So, Father, may you receive glory and honor because you are the sovereign king. Oh, God, I pray this morning we'll respond to you as children who are desperately needy for our Father. May you draw us to yourself and give us joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.